Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Even in a pandemic, I can nail the cue, Rick. Well played, sir. Well played. And we are officially a pandemic. The, uh, the government of the District of Columbia has said uh, to uh, do away with large gatherings between now and March 31st. So we have no studio audience for this podcast. No studio John. audience, but we are socially distant. Uh, I, want, I want Trevor <laughs> to know that, uh, that Rick is safely at least six feet away from me in this in this studio, soundproof studio, yes. Uh, the uh, the glass enclosed. No, no, wait, that's somebody else. Um, so listen, listen, Rick. We've got a lot to go over. Uh, I'm going to leave, for the most part, uh, pandemic discussions for others. Um, but but I do want to talk about. In the midst of all this, we have had massive political developments uh, this week. We had, I mean, my lord, we've had more voting. We had Michigan vote following uh, up on the uh, the Super Tuesday results of last week. And I don't mean to give a uh, short shrift to, uh, to North Dakota, to Washington State, to Missouri, to Mississippi. But, uh, but Michigan was the state where Bernie Sanders was going was gonna to mount his comeback. And um, yeah, that's, what happened? he got wiped out. He lost, uh, it appears like he's going to lose every county in the state of Michigan. He lost across demographic groups, across income levels, across education levels, uh, lost widely among African-American voters. Uh, How'd the did, kids vote? How'd the kids, the, the vote? kids voted Bernie. The kids voted Bernie. Uh, that was something he was able to say that he, he, he held. But uh, this was an epic disaster for the Sanders campaign. I mean, we know that they came in with a delegate uh, deficit, uh, but it widened, it worsened uh, as he was blown out uh, in 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 three of the biggest states that that voted. Uh, he'll he'll also have lost Idaho by the end of the night. Uh, we're still waiting on Washington State. He did win North Dakota, but uh, this was not even close. And to me, it was. It was Joe Biden taking hold of the party once and for all. As big a night as he had a week ago on Super Tuesday, by some measures he had a bigger night. This was finally the head-to-head. Bernie Sanders got Joe Biden to, to, one-on-one, uh, and he lost. And he lost badly. He lost widely. And uh, right now you're in a position where Joe Biden is the uh, the prohibitive frontrunner for the nomination, if not the presumptive nominee. Very close to presumptive uh, nominee. And, of course, we have some very big states voting uh, on Tuesday, next Tuesday, uh, these are Florida, Ohio. You've heard of these places, uh, Arizona, Illinois. Illinois. These are these are big states. Lots of delegates. Uh, they also happen to be four states that Sanders lost decisively to Hillary Clinton four years ago, and where any polling that we have seen so far suggests a big lead for Joe Biden. So it's not like mounting a comeback next week is a, is a, is, a, is seems particularly plausible, especially because he would really need to basically have massive landslides in all of these places to catch up. The other thing, a couple other things caught my eye uh, in these results, the cumulative results, uh, Rick. Uh, Sanders has portrayed himself as the populist candidate, and to his credit, he has built a movement far beyond uh, what anybody thought he could have built when he first started running uh, the first time around uh, in, in the 2016 race. Uh, but you know, part of what he had been saying is, look, I've got the votes. He won the popular vote in Iowa. He won the popular vote in New Hampshire. Uh, he, you know, Nevada was caucuses, but he had more votes in, in Nevada. He's getting trounced in the cumulative popular vote, which doesn't necessarily matter. It's delegates that we track. Uh, but uh, by the last I saw, you know, you had a you had a lead for Biden of about 1.6 million Democratic votes in these uh, 24 uh, Democratic caucuses and primaries that have happened already in this, the states. 
And it was it was Bernie Sanders himself a couple of weeks back at a debate when he was riding high who said whoever gets the most votes should be the, the nominee. And guess what? Joe Biden is getting the most votes. And look, John, there's a lot of reasons that you can point to in this. But we go back to the fact that the Democrats did exactly what the Republicans didn't do in 2016, which was to clear out the field and essentially get that one-on-one matchup in time to stop what they viewed as a looming threat. They didn't do it against Donald Trump. They're on the Republican side. What happened right before Super Tuesday with Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg dropping out, and then Michael Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren dropping out right after Super Tuesday cleared the way for the one-on-one matchup. That's why we saw the kind of night Joe Biden had, and that's why Biden is positioned as it is. And I was texting with a, a, a top uh, a, a, a Bernie Sanders uh, surrogate uh, overnight who said, you know, it may be that the biggest mistake that he that Bernie Sanders made was to win Nevada as big as he did, because it freaked everybody out. And it and it coalesced the concerns against him. It teed up, a, 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 of course, just a, 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 a meltdown in Democratic circles about what to do. And it laid the groundwork for what Biden was able to do in South Carolina and then what he was able to do on Super Tuesday and what he was able to do last night. Well, you know, I after seeing these results, uh, you know, another big night for Joe Biden. Joe Biden came out. Uh, he spoke. We did not hear from uh, from Bernie Sanders last night uh, after the results came in. We did hear from Joe Biden, and I thought it was interesting. There was no spiking of the football. Uh, it was a pretty serious tone. It was a tone of somebody saying, okay, now effectively I am the nominee, and uh, I love Bernie Sanders, and I want him to support me. I mean, let's know what he had to say about Sanders. I want to thank... Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal, and together we'll defeat Donald Trump. Uh, but, but Rick, as we come into our studio here, we have just heard from Bernie Sanders. Uh, you and I were both listening very intently when he came out to speak. There was a lot of speculation that maybe he'd even drop out today. Uh, he came out, let's just say he definitely 100% did not drop out. Um, In fact, he sounded like somebody ready to continue to fight at least a little while longer, somebody looking forward to the next debate. And we do have a debate, a CNN debate scheduled for Sunday. It'll be the first one-on-one debate. And uh, Sanders was looking ahead to that. On Sunday night, in the first one-on-one debate of this campaign, the American people will have the opportunity to see which candidate is best positioned to accomplish that goal. But, you know, Rick, as, as we listen to Sanders, I, I didn't think he was going to drop out this soon anyway. I mean, he's a guy that's been fighting for a long time. This is not simply a campaign for him. This is a movement. This is a great political and social movement. And he's not ready to give it up quite yet. Of course, he also sees where the numbers are and knows what's going on. But he wants that last debate but what was interesting is he went through and he, and he, and he outlined a, uh, several questions that he has uh, for Joe Biden. These were questions about what he was going to do in terms of the minimum wage, which is a starvation wage and should be at the minimum $15 an hour. He talked about climate change. He talked about the uh, income inequality and the wealth gap. He talked about all these big Medicare issues. For all, yeah. But what did he not do? He didn't hit Joe Biden. Yeah. He didn't. It was none of this, Joe, you voted to do this. You did that. He said Joe a lot. He said Joe over and over again. But it was about his issues and about his agenda. It was about his movement. It was no longer somebody that was looked like he was doing it to try to take out an opponent, but somebody who wants to steer 
somebody who was an opponent now and probably will be an ally in, in a matter of weeks. It sets up an odd debate because it's not only that he's pulling his punches. He's saying, look, I'm about to hit you right here with my left hook. It's going to come pretty slowly at you and you're going to have a couple of days to prepare for it. He doesn't want that fight. What he wants to do is influence the debate. That was clear to me. And it sounded like he essentially wants to give Joe Biden a job interview. Look, what, Joe, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? These progressive ideals. He's looking for assurances, concessions, much more than he's looking for missteps and flubs. It doesn't sound like he's going into this hoping that Joe Biden's going to flunk the test. First of all, if he does flunk it, he shouldn't be anything because right. you, just told, you just told the guy what's on the test. So he's, he's going to play sort of, according to him, a kind of a moderator role, a moderator for the progressive left that's coming around on a guy that they've been skeptical of for, from the beginning. They've never really hated them. They haven't had a visceral dislike for the most part of Joe Biden, but they're not comfortable with him. And they want to see nods in their direction through the naming of a running mate, through planks in the platform. They want to see Joe Biden move toward them. And, and that's what Bernie Sanders wants to see just a little bit more before he gets out. And what we didn't hear from from what he what he just told us, uh, John, in, in Vermont, we didn't hear him say, I am going to win this state and that state and this state, and this is my path back into relevance. He acknowledged he's losing in the delegates, and he even acknowledged, maybe for the first time in recorded political history, I, that he is losing the argument around electability. And yeah, that's right. He was, saying he, that. he was explicit. He said that, that you know, he said he's people agree with him on his agenda. They agree with his issues. Uh, but they think that Biden would have a better chance of winning. He was quite, quite blunt about that. He obviously thinks that people are misguided about that, but that's what that's what he thinks. Uh, you know, I think that Biden has to be careful. Uh, you know, this is a one-on-one -on -one debate. Uh, he hasn't had that kind of scrutiny yet. Who knows how he performs? Let's face it. Let's be completely candid here. He's had some pretty awful debate performances. He's gotten a little bit better uh, the last couple of debates, but he's had uh, some some very shaky debate performances. And now, you know, he's not going to be able to sit at the sidelines for a lot of it while the spotlight is on somebody else. It's it's going to be on Biden. It's going to really, in a way, be all on Biden. Bernie has nothing to lose. Um, and so, Biden can do no harm, right? His his challenge is going to be don't belittle, don't flub any answers. And he's got, you know, he let's face it, he needs he needs that movement that yes. Sanders has built. He's not going to get all of it, by the way. There's going to be some of them that are never, but but he's got to get most of it. Um, and and they've got, he's got to get them to turn out. He's got to get them excited. And he, he's not there yet. Although, let, let's just talk about Michigan for a second. And let's talk about Michigan, Rick, with an eye towards the general election, assuming that Biden yeah. continues along this path, pulls it off. He's the Democratic nominee. Michigan's obviously, you know, I mean, one of the absolute most important states in a general election, one of those that – uh, Donald Trump won and, and helped get him to, in, 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 into the White House. We know all of that. But if you look, you mentioned that he won every county against Bernie Sanders. I think that the more – that's a very important thing. A lot of those counties are counties he's going to have to take to beat sure. Donald Trump. But the other thing was turnout. So yeah. this was – Record, record turnout, turnout for a Democratic primary. That's right. And and it was against the backdrop of coronavirus and that scare and the knowledge that most of the candidates that were running were not in the race anymore. We're down to just two in the final days. Yeah, there were a lot of early votes, something like 40 percent of them are early votes. But uh, th this was this was a, a test of all of those things. And of course, Michigan takes on this kind of mythical uh, place in the Democratic mind because of the fact that it was the site of that upset by Bernie Sanders uh, in the primaries. And then that bigger upset 
by Donald Trump in the fall. So look, if you're talking about electability, if you're talking about how you relate to white working class voters, the fact that Joe Biden has them already for all the flaws in his coalition, the fact that young voters are not excited about him, the fact that Latino voters are not on board in the same numbers, you can count on African-American voters being solidly behind Joe Biden at this moment and white working class voters. Again, the kind of folks that powered the Obama coalition, the Bill Clinton coalition, but flipped over to Donald Trump in the last couple of years, uh, they kind of like Joe. And that is a that is a not insignificant factor if you are the White House, if you're Donald Trump, looking at the matchup that's now developing. All right. So we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, Rick is going to tell us uh, if Biden wins the nomination, who he's going to choose as his running mate. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Rick, I need your hot takes. Give me number one. Oh, man, I got hot takes. All right. So this one's not that hot because it's it's I think you'll oh, agree with the right on. of the matter. Okay. Warm take? This is the, we... Sorry. The, the happiest group of people right now about Joe Biden winning the nomination, the Democratic establishment. I think we can esta- we can say okay, establish that. Okay. Establish that. Okay. Okay. The second happiest group of people the Republican establishment, not because they think they can beat Joe Biden, but because there's a lot of Republicans out there who say, you know what? A Biden presidency, not the end of the world, probably only one term. He's not going to do any revolution stuff. And if Donald Trump's going to lose, have him lose. Then to, we can come back. Yeah. That's right. We can come back. We can rebuild the party. Is there and, a Republican establishment left? Yeah, they're, or, uh, they're out there. They're quiet. There's yeah. some of those fo- they're working maybe in congressional offices. Who are they? Can you give me a name or two? Uh, they, they won't name themselves to me. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Right. <laughs> they're, they're worried about this. They like to still be on TV. They like to be part of the mix. But they, they are actually going to be okay with a Joe Biden candidacy and a Joe Biden presidency. Okay, give me another hot take. The third happiest group of people in this are actually young progressives. Uh, the young progressive AOC? politicians. The AOC wing of the party. And let me explain why. The squad? I'm not going to speak about any individual because I don't, I'm not inside um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's head or, the, or any individual member. But there's a school of thought out there among many progressives that say, you know what, Bernie Sanders is the guy for us, but he is an imperfect messenger for, the, for, for this movement. And a lot of them are surprised. Wait, 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 far- wait, wait, wait. I hate to interrupt you, but we just see walking into the studio now in the middle of this podcast, barging through is a very – Who invited is, you, Mary? This what is, is this about? This is unbelievable. Mary, barging Mary in, I was summoned. You're summoned. You're summoned. So I was just explaining, Ladies I was explaining and to John, Mary Bruce. Explaining, Hello. I was mid hot take when you walked in, Ooh, explaining that take? there are many young progressive lawmakers who are going to be fine with the Joe Biden nomination because they didn't think that Bernie Sanders was going to get this far in the first place. And if he did, they know he wouldn't have accomplished very much as president. So the idea that the progressives are disappointed down and out today, they will have some influence over Joe Biden. They will help shape his choice of a running mate. They will help shape, shape his cabinet, help shape his uh, his agenda as president. But they are going to lie in wait and know that there will be another turn to the screw. And if you're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you got yourself about 12 presidential elections before you're Joe Biden's age or Bernie Sanders' age, and you got a long time to watch this develop. And there are a lot of very uh, progressive and, uh, and forward-looking politicians who say, my time is going to come. Uh, Bernie Sanders had his time, and it's okay if Joe Biden has his shot at bat. Okay, and, and before we find out what's really going on for Mary, just tell us, who, who, who's the, who is Biden going to choose as his running mate, assuming this – this continues. So I think you can you can scratch off the names of any white males that might be on the list. There's n- there's yep. almost no chance that he's going Sherry to. Sherry Brown's not yeah. going to be in the. Uh, okay. No, no, okay. I don't think uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think. Uh, judge, no. We, there's been a lot of talk early about um, uh, about some folks uh, uh, like um, like uh, Kamala Abrams, Harris and Stacey Kamala Abrams. Harris, yeah, okay. 
But uh, I am going. I, I am going. I'm going to give a little hat tip to Mary Alice Parks, my deputy political director. Oh, I director was going to use her idea. Oh, all right. You, you can say it. You can say it then. Well, I'll let you do it. I Governor like Lujan Grisham, it's yeah. not a bad idea. You think about what powerful rising female stars there are, and. She, you know, would check a lot of boxes. She's a woman. She's from a state that would be useful to him, Hispanic. It's not a bad idea. A governor. Wait, yeah. wait tell us about Governor Grisham. Because I, I deal with Press Secretary Grisham, so this is a different... Oh, <laughs> different no, Grisham, no relation. No, no, no relation. No relation. No relation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, well go ahead. She, no, she was, she, was, she was in the House before she, she went as governor. She's very popular in New Mexico. And, and look, she's, she is a progressive, but not a firebrand progressive. Uh, she is a whole generation younger. Um, uh, and and I did think she endorse in this thing? Or? She, I I believe she stayed out. I'll have to check that. Check that. Jump on this yeah, one. Okay. Think, I I think there's there's a lot to be said about. Uh, about diversity in a lot of directions. There's uh, there's geographic diversity around this. I, I think the short list is going to be pretty short, and I, I also think that Joe Biden's going to do this sooner rather than later. If you're the Biden campaign... He's uh, not going to wait till the convention? Oh, I think... I, listen, if I'm, if I'm advising the Biden campaign, you want to have another surrogate out there as quickly as possible. You want to answer the concerns on the left as quickly as possible. Now, look, there are a lot of there are a lot of old-school folks in the Biden campaign that have been doing things the way they've always been done. For like 175 years, yeah. Since the 87 campaign, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think, though, they are going to be looking around and saying, okay, what do we do to, to, to show that we get it, to show that we recognize this is a 78-year-old candidate, uh, to recognize this is a white male candidate, uh, to recognize... The you have to have a, 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 a real nod toward the progressive wing, wing of the party and that you have an ally out there early. And so, someone with some progressive politics, I think, is helpful as you go forward trying to you know, bring some Bernie Sanders supporters onto your team. It's not a bad idea. So, Mary, how long does this go on? You know, you guys summoned me up here. Now you're peppering me with yeah, this. Yeah, we want you to bring information. Come on. We want, we want to know what's happening. Well, to Rick's point, what I think is really interesting I, right now is that— Rick's not going to know what's going on. Well, so. that's a given. Um I say that with love, Rick. But the um, the Sanders team right now, he, he has leverage. There's some power in this moment. And it's clear from what we heard in his remarks this morning, he's going to use it, right? He's taking this moment to try and move the needle on his issues. He, he knows that he has the microphone right now in a way that he may not have for that much longer. Um, and so at least— He'll always be invited here in powerhouse politics. Uh, he will, yeah, this microphone is always open, if you're listening, Senator Sanders. Um but he is going to try and influence policy going forward. How long he can keep up that game, I don't know. And especially, you know, as Rick noted uh, when we were talking internally, he didn't mention what happens next week, right? You have another round of critical contests coming up. It's not clear if those are going to be particularly favorable to, to Senator Sanders. So I, I don't know if he's going to continue to go all the way to the convention. I don't see that. I'll put it that way. I, I could see him getting out shortly after this debate. If, you uh, could see him getting out Monday before uh, voting on Tuesday. Uh, you think? I, to me, the biggest tell in this was to not say, you know, I'm headed to Florida, I'm headed to Arizona. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that the thing that Bernie Sanders likes to do most is to go to big events, big rallies, and, and soak in the energy of the people. That's the one thing he can't do right now because okay. of coronavirus. He had okay. to cancel and, that big rally. Also, let's remember, Joe Biden is not known as a stellar debater. I mean, there is a chance, and Bernie Sanders is banking on that, that man on man, that Bernie Sanders or that Joe Biden tanks and Bernie Sanders somehow gets a shot of momentum. Remember, this race has changed dramatically in the last two weeks. So it's not, you know, unheard of to suggest that things could completely be upended again. Long shot, yes, but not impossible. It, it may or may not be true that even on this very podcast, we had 
come pretty close to writing Biden's obituary. I don't think I ever said I mean, no. I mean, I just think like an no. obituary. It's such a strong, from two weeks it's a strong ago. word. No. I just, I literally, I seriously had someone in the elevator who told me, like, I heard you say, you told me months ago Biden was going to do this thing. And yeah. I told him, my secret is that every elevator I get in, I have a different prediction. So there's someone who will tell me later on that I was absolutely right. Okay. This was a wild couple of weeks, a wild couple of weeks. And the fact that we're talking about uh, a clean ending to this incredibly messy process is mind-boggling in its own way. I mean, honestly, one of the, I mean, as we've said, I, I think the greatest comeback I, I've seen in, in yes. my time covering politics. All right, Murray, I know you have to go. You got you have a lot going on. Just before you do, please tell me. You, you're, I see you up on Capitol Hill. I saw you peppering uh, the president of the United States with questions when he came up. Uh, you know, to meet with uh, with Republican senators. That's John Carl's job usually. What's um, that about? Yes, it is. It is. It's fun um, having him on our side of town. But, but there's all this kind of like, uh, you know, social distancing going on. We see the crazy stuff at the Pentagon where the chairs are far apart. We're still doing our cramped briefings at the at the White House. But you guys are in some really cramped territory up there. What, what's going on? And I saw Dianne Feinstein wants to shut the place down. What's it like up there? The Hill is a really unique environment. I mean, yesterday was just remarkable because at the same time that over at the Pentagon, you have them distancing the, the reporters' chairs, right? Keeping them three feet apart, even though, of course, six social feet. distancing is six feet. But that's okay. <laughs> but at that exact same time on the Hill, we were literally elbow to elbow in this massive scrum of reporters standing there for over an hour while the president was having lunch with Senate Republicans. Republicans. So there is a little bit of mixed messaging going on. The Hill is a really unique environment for many reasons, but especially as you think about the impact of coronavirus, you have, let's be honest, uh, a lot of older lawmakers, um, a lot who are, you know, the, the vulnerable population here. They are spending a lot of their time on airplanes and trains traveling back and forth across the country. Then they, a large, large part of the job is to spend time in huge gatherings, going to various meetings and conferences and dinners. And then you work in a place like the Capitol that is filled with tourists, lots of people. And then you have us reporters who are basically running around taking a microphone back and forth and shoving it in their faces. Um, There has been some suggestion and some pressure put on uh, congressional leaders that they should go home for recess and maybe stay at home. They should maybe work remotely. Nancy Pelosi has been shooting that down. She says they are the captain of this ship. They are the last to leave. And of course, they also have some really important work that they need to be doing right now, which is trying to pass some kind of recovery package, something to to try and uh, stabilize uh, the aftermath, uh, the economic aftermath of coronavirus. Of course, we heard the president saying, you know, be calm. It's all going to be okay. Do do you think they're going to come to an agreement on something? Uh, something. I don't know what that something's going to be. There are a lot of ideas being bantered about. And as usual, it's uh, this will come as no surprise to you. It's not really clear what exactly the president's willing to get on board with beyond just a, a payroll tax cut. And it's not clear how much that tax cut would be, for how long that tax cut would be. Democrats have a bunch of other proposals, including, you know, uh, family leave for paid family leave for those who get sick, enhancing unemployment insurance. Lots of ideas, but where is this going and how quickly can they get this out to, to try and jolt and, and provide some stability to the and, market? And Mary, it wasn't lost on, on anyone that he goes to Capitol Hill to meet with Republicans. Yes. He's actually going to need Democrats. The Speaker of the House, whom he has She's no relationship right? yeah, who has no relationship with whatsoever. They're not even going to be at the St. Patrick's uh, no. uh, lunch together at the Capitol. That, that, that tradition that uh, you know goes back to... Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan and uh, breaking bread together. They, they're going to the Democrats are going to have a big say in this. Nancy Pelosi yes. is going to have a lot to say about whatever they do in an aid package or a stimulus package responding to coronavirus. And she is now huddling and talking with the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, trying to come up with you know what proposals are going to cut it here. But 
I wouldn't hold your breath for something to happen immediately. All right, let's let Mary get out of here. Let's get back Thanks, to work. Gang. We've got a lot to happen. Mary Bruce, thank you for joining us in Powerhouse Politics. Thanks for Thank you me. to Avery Miller, Trevor Hastings, the entire Powerhouse Politics team. And we will be back right here, no matter what's going on in the world, next week.